0: Welcome back to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan and in this episode I'm joined by yet another world champion, but this one, as we'll discover, has never ridden a Speedway bike.
1: If you've not seen me on the telly, I'm a bit of a lump really, so I've got to be honest with you, I have the figure for a dart player, but not for a Speedway rider.
0: Scott Mitchell is a lifelong Speedway fan and a huge supporter of the Pool Pirates, and his day job is split between being a farmer and a professional darts player, where in 2015, He scaled the heights of the sport to become the BDO World Darts Champion. Double chop to be crowned World Champion. Misses with the first. Game. Hits with the second. And the 2015 Lakeside World Darts Champion is Scott Mitchell. Every
1: dog has his day. And for Scotty Dog Mitchell, that
0: day We'll find out more about his rise to the top of darts, despite only finding his way into the sport in his late 30s, and how his success at the hockey has led to a secret career working alongside some of TV and film's household names. Plus, he'll be putting together his Speedway Paradise, building his own dream meeting before the end too. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome our next Human of Speedway Scott Mitchell. Hi, how are you doing Ian? I'm very good thanks and it's great to have you joining us on this episode of Humans of Speedway and uh, of course we're here to talk about Speedway but first of all let's talk darts because 2020 has thrown all sorts of chaos generally in, in sports direction. Darts has sort of kind of found a way, obviously very very different times. How's it been for you so far? Yeah yeah it's it's been it's been a
1: strange year obviously for the darts really um uh you know we haven't been able to play and and uh the, the the bits that we have done have been uh kind of in bubbles in in varying hotels or arenas that that have hotels attached to them when we have been allowed to play so it, it we've not been as bad as some other sports which are you know totally sort of desecrated 2020 has speedway has been uh in the uk and um you know we we I've been lucky enough to play a bit of online darts as well. There was a uh, a day back in April where um, I think we were the only live sport going on in the world. Uh oh, no, that, wow. that was online. I was playing at home in my spare room. So um, yeah, it's been, been a bit of strange year for everybody, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it has. About, how did that work then, playing at home? Well, it was it like a video camera on your board, and there was sort of adding up the the score that way. I mean, yeah, yeah. How there, did there's. It work?
1: Um, uh, we're, we're very darts is a very simple sport but it can get very technical when it needs to be so um, we have a, a, a scoring system called darts connect that works all around the world so um, we, we could log into darts connect and, and use an ipad to, to put the scores and everything in uh, as we played uh, well we were actually just saying the score after we thrown so if you hit 140 hit 140 called 140 as if i was the mc and then <laughs> At HQ they put they put the score in and and it comes up on my pad what I've scored and what I've got left it was very clever and uh yeah we obviously had cameras as close to the board as we can get them um one facing the player and and one facing the board so that you know there was there was no uh cheating going on
0: did you announce your score in, in the way that uh, that the, the, the MC usually does, like
1: 140? Yes, you did end up doing it. It was, uh, yeah, 140. And then you take your darts out and it was rather really weird. And then there's other players that are very uh, – so it would depend on who who you were actually playing. There'd be another player that had just hit 140 you go, 140. You know, with about <laughs> as much enthusiasm as anything. So sometimes you got drawn into it. I'll go, yeah, 180. <laughs> Yeah, everybody's got the It was fun. It was really <laughs> different for all of us, and it was fun. So we were able to still get ourselves out there to the, to, you know, a lot of people that were still watching it during lockdown because obviously they were at home all day. So
0: um, yeah, the viewing figures were really good, and everybody was happy. Well, they will be good because I remember that sort of period where there was n- well there was no sport on in the world one weekend, and everybody's like, "What do we do now?" So I think it was it was the turn of the minority sports, if if you know if you want to phrase it like that. You know, football wasn't happening, and all the other major sports, if you want to call them that, weren't weren't happening. You know, tennis wasn't on, for example, like Wimbledon would usually be on through the summer, and you know it was the turn of those sports that were able to to get underway that normally wouldn't have had the exposure that, that really benefited as well
1: yeah I think that's been a bit of a problem I mean I know that the um the the PDC obviously is run by Barry Hearn and Matt Porter and um they've managed to get sponsors to cover tournaments to be played behind closed doors so that so that they could still be put on sky and um you know it's it's been a mammoth task for them to get any darts anywhere so um we are very lucky we are very fortunate and um you know some sports have been really harmed by it and uh um we're, we're fortunate that Yes, we've been harmed by it at grassroots level, but but at a top level, we've, we've we've still been able to play.
0: Now, obviously, we're talking there about darts, which is the sport that you play, but you are you are a fan of, of Speedway, which is why we're speaking to you on, on our podcast, Humans of Speedway. We haven't turned into Humans of Darts, although maybe we could do that another day. But you're a pool pirates fan and uh, you're a South Coast lad born and bred. Yeah, yeah, I'm from a little village called Bransgall, which is
1: uh, just between Christchurch and Ringwood down on the Hampshire-Dorset border. So we're right on the edge of the New Forest. We're we're two miles away from the beach, down at Christchurch, and uh, yeah, five hundred half a mile away from the New Forest. So, uh, and we have got a little piece of little piece of farm there, and um, yeah, I, I thought everybody had a had a, had an area like that, but until I started travelling with the darts, I, I realised the world wasn't exactly the same as the little idyllic village that I live.
0: Yeah, growing, growing up on a farm, I imagine, a, a, you know, a sort of different upbringing from the majority of people in the UK. I mean, I know there are a lot of farmers, but, um, you know, it's a different life, isn't it? It is a lifestyle because it requires, you know, work, you know, day in, day out to, to, to keep the thing running and, and, and through the seasons, obviously, the demands change, don't they?
1: Yeah, very much so. I mean, particularly with a, with a tenant farmer, where we're, we're tenant farmers, so we rent the land as well. You know, if you own the land and you haven't got to find the rent, it, it can be a little bit easier to... To, to, to make a profit but for for us uh small little holders um small holders it's, it's very difficult and you know farmers said it's tough times like we have with the covid i mean the bse and the foot and mouth back sort of 20 30 years ago um sort of saw me having to having to leave the farmers as a young man of 25 26 and uh you know i thought my world had ended because that's all i ever did I, I i jumped in a tractor at eight years old and um you know and and was driving it around the fields and that's all i ever wanted to do so to have the wall pulled out from under you like that sort of like um in your late 20s and um just to save the farm really you know we had about 250 acres at that point so the good thing about renting is you can give it back or being a tenant you can give it back so i can't afford to Mm -hmm. to have it so that was the one plus side of being a tenant so you know we saw hardship we saw hard times but Um, Dad had to let myself and my brother go, which is obviously one of the hardest things he would have ever had to do in his life. And um, yeah, we went off and found other things and then the darts came along. So, um, you know, everything sort of one door closes, another door opens.
0: You're listening to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. I'm joined by 2015 BDO World Darts Champion, Scott Mitchell. And we'll talk more about darts in just a bit, Scott. But let's turn our attention now to Speedway. And are you like so many other people I've spoken to, uh, the sort of person who was introduced to Speedway at an early age? Has it always been a constant for you, sort of going down to uh, to Wimborne Roads to watch pool? Or, or were you a late discoverer of the sport?
1: Um Yes, very, very, very young. Apparently, my, my I've been told by my mother that my first Speedway meeting uh, at pool, I went through the turnstiles at two weeks old in a carry cot. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're, we're talking <laughs> mum and dad were into the Speedway in a big way. Um At that time, which we're, we're now talking the 70s when they were, were well, sort of just in their early 20s uh when they had me and of course my my dad and my my dad's brother they were into it big time so he would uncle richard would come this every week my grandparents were the ones that started them going sort of back in probably i I would say the late 50s probably mm-hmm. um maybe maybe even a bit earlier than that and and they used to go you know they they told me stories about sort of riding or catching trains and, and riding bikes from sort of Hinton Admiral near Bransgore and, um, you know, getting off of bikes and riding to the stadium and then riding back and getting a train back. It's just amazing how they used to do it then. It wasn't as easy as getting in a car and just going, you know. So um, you can say it's in the blood, I think. There's three or, three or four generations of the course. A small village like ours, everybody went. So, you mm. know, if there was going to be a burglary on in our village back in the 60s, it would be on a Wednesday night when everybody was at pool. <laughs> so um, at Wimborne Road, so um, you know there was there were four or five cars used to go from the village um, back then, which is you know half the village gone. So it was um, it was a, speedway was a pretty big thing in my life back then, and um, I probably in the early seventies and as I was growing up, I probably wasn't into football till so probably the late seventies when I was seven, eight, nine years old. I, it was just speedway, speedway, speedway.
0: Yeah, you, you tend to find that and it's similar from my um, how I sort of got into Speedway as well, you know, same as you said, like my my grandparents, it's my grandma that went, she used to go to Edinburgh, um, again, sort of early 50s or, or, or around then, and then it's gone through the family really and um hopefully i I can get my daughter to go but she she doesn't she's only four and she doesn't really like the sound of loud bikes at the minute which is the main obstacle um but we'll get there it's funny
1: i've I've taken my kids as well and um my daughter absolutely loves it she's 26 she's she's always loved it um whenever we kids because my first actual when i met my wife i took her on a date to paul speed my first time we were about 17 or 18 or something and uh, yeah, and, and our first date, I took her to Paul Speedway, and um, she she liked it. But as the kids were younger and and the expense of it all, and we, you know, you didn't have a lot of money, so both of us couldn't go. So I kept going because that was my sort of weekly thing, really. And Sharon stayed home um, with the kids, and then we we went out as family nights. We we did it as a family night as a treat, sort of two or three times a year when we could afford to do it. And then um, yeah, my son really can take it or leave it. He's he's not bothered. He'll sit and watch it on the telly with me or whatever, but. Not not worried about coming to Paul to watch it, but Casey comes every week and she doesn't miss it. So um yeah, good daddy daughter time.
0: Yeah, it is a great family day out. I think that's what makes Speedway, isn't it? It's the whole the whole occasion. But um is it right that you though were you into your motorbikes in general and, and you were sort of into motocross as a youngster?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well we, we I mean down 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 south we had this um a couple of friends of mine used to ride schoolboy motocross and um they that i would go with them as sort of like eight or nine or ten and, and watch them ride in motocross so i was into motocross as well and um well, one of them actually was mark sebright uh he was a friend of mine at 10 years old and now spanners for doily so uh, <laughs> uh it, it's quite strange and he had a grass track career and um uh jeff wiltshire was southern center champion a grass tracker and uh, you know 10 or 12 years older than me and uh they used to live one enough live in one of our farmhouses his father did so um, there was just an everything around me and uh, Pete, Pete Monday, God rest his soul, uh, lived about a mile away from our farm and he used to come down and test his bikes back in the 60s on my granddad's farm you know there was nowhere to test Speedway bikes then so he used to come down on a grass field and and Pete used to test them there you know so um, you know I, I suppose I had no choice uh, that, that, that Speedway was always going to be kind of the number one sport for me and, and probably always will be.
0: But with your background in motocross, obviously an interest in bikes in general, did you never consider giving Speedway a bash at all? I mean, could you have been the 2015 World Speedway Champion instead of darts?
1: No, I'm, if you've not seen me on the telly, I'm a bit of a lump really. So I'll be honest <laughs> with you, I have the figure for a dart player, but not for a Speedway rider, to be totally honest. So um, <laughs> I rode, I rode right across from probably 18 till about 24. And then when we had the children, um you know i was blatting up a straight on one and there was there was katie my daughter three four months old waving at daddy going up the straight flat out in fifth gear and i thought if i crash now the wife's not earning i'm the only one earning um we've got a house to the job uh this is this is starting to take too many more risks than i need to be taking here so uh that's and and the fact that i'd sort of did some some 500cc sort of amateur amca british championship qualifiers and uh, failed to qualify for the top 40 in the country, so I kind of knew that I wasn't good enough. I was, I was daft enough. I just wasn't fast enough. So, um, and <laughs> and I wasn't committed enough, probably. You know, I I didn't want to go out running every night and all that sort of thing to make me as fit as a top guy. So, um, you know, things happen for a reason, and and uh, yeah, what well, I just, just decided to, to to knock it on the head. And I've been in every hospital in the south of England, you know, and and you start going to hospital and they go, oh, "Hi, Scott, at the emergency ward." When you're going in again. <laughs> yeah. um it, it kind of you know and dad was at home going what am i going to do with you I've, I've had a sort of like an ankle in cast and and, and he's put me in the tractor and gave me a, and, and and strapped my leg up because i had to have my leg elevated so he strapped my leg up to the steering column in my tractor and i've gone off in for the day and he's given me a a bottle and said oh, i said i can't get out I'll go to the toilet and he's given me a bottle and I said well there you go you'll be able to empty that out the window every couple of hours i said oh, thanks dad so it was getting to the point where I was getting injured and it was affecting my work as well. So, um, you know, it, it was time uh, at 24 years old, I matured myself to say I'm not doing it anymore.
0: Yeah, you paint a glamorous picture there. Um, Speedway, though, is uh, a high risk sport, as as we well know. I think maybe if that is the case, you maybe made the, the better decision. Darts, you definitely see less spectacular injuries in darts, even at worst.
1: Absolutely, and I mean, I'd love to have a go. That's my one regret. I would. I've always wanted to have a go on a speedway bike. That's my one regret. But um, now I'm, I'm the ripe old age of fifty, and it's um, probably not the right time to start doing things like that. And uh, the wife has said she'd divorce me if I get on another bike. So the problem with it is, is the, is, the fact that obviously if I go and have a little blat, and I can't even play cricket or anything. If I break a finger or whatever, then I can't throw a dart properly. So. Um, you know any any injury to me any any injury to me right hand side or you know my arm or anything would would affect the rest of it so so the way that life works at the moment is a nice little small farm dabbling away at the darts and uh keep the wolf from the door and everything's happy but barry bishop has actually offered me a, a little ride on the isle of wight if i want to go to the skid school over there but uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i've not been brave enough to tell the wife yet uh, now she knows that's the problem but uh, I, I, I won't be going as uh, lovely an offer
0: that barry's made it uh yeah i probably won't be going yeah I, I i do look at it i've looked at it before and i thought yeah it'd be really good fun to do that and then the other part of me thinks do you know what but if you went over on your ankle uh, or, or your knee or something like that it's just like uh, and that's why i'm not a speedway rider <laughs> no, well, me too. I'm just, I'm just too fat, really.
1: That's the main problem.
0: Uh, th- there is a hidden side to Scott Mitchell, 2015 BDO World Darts Champion, and that is that your arm is in demand and makes some fairly regular and quite prominent TV appearances. I mean, uh, this obviously must be a great thing, that t- to be a movie star but not be recognised. Well,
1: I'm not sure I'm supposed to say, but I, I, I'm like the Stig of the darts world. You know, I've, I've thrown darts on Holby City... Um, I've thrown in EastEnders. I've been in the Queen Vic and threw a few as well for them. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> cut and you jump in between Freel Mitchell and uh, Danny Dyer or whatever. Um, Steve McFadden and Danny Dyer and going at a treble 20, a bullseye, a double something else. And then they go, right, that's it. Thanks, Scotty. See ya. Off you go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite, quite, um, quite funny. And uh, you do have to pinch yourself. To think that you get to do some of these things, and um, obviously lately they haven't happened in the last sort of uh, year. We haven't had anything because of COVID, so um, I haven't had anything in that sort of line. But it, it's been it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. You meet an awful lot of people. Uh, sort of
0: like a, a stunt arm. Yeah, very much so.
1: I mean, when I when I first <laughs> went to East Enders, the first time I went to East Enders, um, Barbara Windsor was uh, uh, filming her last scenes. Uh, oh, she. So oh. I was there my first day uh, on a Monday. She she came in and. Uh, she wandered in and put her hands on my shoulders i was sat on the sofa in the green room and she kind of came in the door and put her hands on on my shoulders and said oh who are you and i I was like oh my god this is barbara windsor touching me it was um yeah it was really weird and i I looked around and i said hi babs i'm I'm just a former darts world champion I'm, i'm throwing a few darts in the queen vic for the ladies dart team today and she said you throw them you throw them exactly where we need them love you make us look good (laughs) and i looked around at her and i looked over my shoulder and looked at her and you know what the only thing that could go through my head i've seen your boobs and carry on camping (laughs) that that was the first thing that came into my head and it should never have done but how many people was that going to be everybody would have thought that surely wouldn't they i can't be the only one
0: (laughs) well at least it didn't come out of your mouth
1: it didn't no it was just going through (laughs) my head i was thinking oh my goodness what a thing to think she was lovely. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. When you hear people say how lovely she is, you, you, I can say she is. She was, She's was lovely.
0: Ah, oh, good. It must be a bit different for you, though, being thrust into that world of suddenly being around these household names that you see on TV every day.
1: I was very nervous about meeting Danny Dyer, actually. Mm-hmm. But actually how was that? He was great. I, I, just, I just had this impression of him. I thought, I'm not going to like him. I'm not going to like him. And he, yeah. he calls me Fatty. Oi, Fatty. Hi, Danny. How you doing? He's uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I, I had some, I had fr- I had some uh, food with him when I was there, and uh, yeah, he'd, he'd ordered some food in. and He said, Oi, fatty, come here and eat some food with me. I said, What do you mean? He said, I've got some Chinese, I've got too much here. He said, Come and eat some food with me. I said, Oi, I might not like it. He said, You do not get that fat without eating Chinese. Come here and sit down so we came oh, and sat shit. down no it's fair <laughs> absolutely fair so we came and sat down and we had a good chat and uh, yeah he's, he's a really nice guy you know, you're, obviously he's so busy and we're so busy you don't ever stay in touch or anything but um, you know it's, it's lovely it is lovely
0: and you also have the unlikely accolade of being a body double for Johnny Depp if that is still an accolade these days but um, nonetheless a while ago it did, it did happen
1: yeah 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 I was exactly double his size Right, <laughs> that's probably what it was. He's only a little man. I reckon I'm double his weight exactly. Yeah. Now we, we we back in 2013. It's funny what comes with 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 getting good with the darts and everything. And um, there's a period where you're you're very topical, and, and I suppose most sportsmen have, have sort of understood this. And um, I've had to learn it at a lovely age in in my forties, which is lovely because. Uh, You know a little bit more about life then if it happened to me in my 20s i would really think i was the boy you know but um (laughs) happening in your 40s you you go ah it's lovely what's going on it's lovely but um yeah i I got asked to do a uh to to play throw some darts on a film set um in a a film called london fields and it it, um it was an adaptation of a book by martin amos it was a an author and uh yeah i had to go sort of varying places in london which was really cool because i hadn't really I've had no real need to go to london so um i've been a few times with the school and and things like that and uh when i was a kid but i didn't really i really am a country boy so um yeah to go to london and and, and go onto these film sets in varying varying locations around london and and throw for varying um people it was um pretty cool and, and one of the scenes that i had to actually do was was um stand obviously sideways onto the board with with johnny depp with his I had to crouch down so that I was the same height as him. So I was crouched down because I'm six foot five and Johnny's five foot eight. So I was crouched down to be the same height as him, and he had to back in between my knees with his backside, which is a a position a lot of women (laughs) would love to be in. Um, Johnny Depp backing into them. uh, Not not lately, maybe, but that's another court case coming up. That's another court case coming up. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, he he backed in and sort of his bottom was on my crutch and uh the the, the film the the way that the the cinematography is brilliant because how they managed to block me out with a little five for eight man i don't know um but basically they filmed hit the side of his head and his hand and uh he pulled his hand back and i threw the dart past so it was my arm went through the shot and hit a bullseye for johnny to win one of the games (laughs) <laughs> and uh, obviously johnny was quite a humorous fella and he said you enjoying that he said it took you three goes to do it i said actually i was surprised i managed to do it in the third attempt i thought it was going to take 23 but um because <laughs> it's kind of in your spatial zone it was very weird but um to be on that film set was was kind of amazing there were other sort of guys like jim sturgis and people like that and it um uh yeah it was uh it was great and there was other dark players like bobby george and things in it as well so um had bit parts and we had extras parts as ourselves sat in the back and i I've, i wear kind of a flamboyant uh bright pink and black and what have you shirt and i was the only one that the sets designers didn't have to have a shirt for because mine was loud enough because it was set in the future <laughs> so um yeah but it's great great thing to do great thing to anything like that is great to do we've done other few things as well but um yeah that was that one's a memorable one
0: This is Humans of Speedway. Welcome along. I'm Ian Brannan and uh, our guest in this episode is a former world darts champion, Scott Mitchell, and also a massive Pool Pirates fan. And he's going to be choosing his all-time team and designing his dream meeting in just a little bit. But let's turn our attention now to your darts career, Scott. And we've spoken on this podcast before about when it comes to sport, how being an early starter is, is always really important in order to be successful later in life. However... When it comes to darts, you can disprove that theory because you were a relatively late starter and still became a world champion
1: yeah, very much so um you know i didn't i didn 't start doing the kind of professional circuit until I was like thirty nine or forty and wow. a lot of its circumstance a lot of it was, it was partly still doing the farm a lot of it was was finding your feet in life and um, i think i' got I started throwing darts at a young age back in the seventies when Mum and dad would go round a friend's house in the village and they'd take a dartboard up, put it on the back of the kitchen door and the kids would have a dartboard on a on a chair somewhere and we'd, we'd throw a dart. Not seriously, but that's probably where I first found out about darts. So, um, you know, in the, in the 70s probably when, when there wasn't a lot of money around at that time and uh, we would... I, I then sort of never really touched the dart and I started um Young Farmers. I don't know if you ever heard of the Young Farmers Movement oh, up yes. and down the country. It's <laughs> it's the most greatest movement. You're there from ten to twenty six and uh it it's just it made me Young Farmers did. So um about sixteen maybe we we'd go back to the pub and, and uh I could only drink a Coke then, so we'd go back to our local club and on a Friday night all the village were in the in the pub and everybody'd be having a game of darts and you'd put your name up and you so you had to learn how to mark a game before you could play they wouldn't let you play until you could mark a game of darts and count so um i had a few weeks of marking a few games and then i managed to get on and um i'd get one game and then i'd get stuffed by the local hero and i thought oh, this is getting on my nerves here i've got to get better at this so i started to sort of play around about 16 or 17 but of course as we said earlier i started riding motocross when i was 18 and and so i got quick a good at, at darts pretty quickly um but i thought the darts was an old man's game so i could come back to it later so whereas motocross you can't jump on them at 50 years old well there's a few people that are but um so so i couldn't so i didn't start playing county darts till the kids were sort of a bit older and stuff and i was about 29 or 30 and and i just didn't go well at it i was always a little bit of a nervous sort playing on stage it just didn't work and i remember after my fourth time that, that dorset had dropped me they said um you just haven't got it for dark scott you're not going to make it i've i've been a manager for 20 years and i can just see you haven't got it go home and and give it up and and, and enjoy your kids and take them out weekends don't come doing this because because you just haven't got it and i was there in tears at like 30 years old going i'll show you i'll show you and uh yeah took me 15 years but i did
0: but what's the journey from from playing darts in your local pub or in, in a local team or league to to getting to be the world champion? I mean, what is that journey like?
1: Well, we we started we started getting sort of like big names come around local pubs around the area and I was putting on a good show against them and and beating one or two of them so they'd come down and do exhibitions at pubs and so um and and, and a few people uh, I I qualified for a TV tournament called the UK Open in 2007. And it was it was open, so I played in a little pub in Christchurch and, and won that round in Dorset. Then I had to go to another round, um, in in Somerset and I won that and that put me to the T V stages of the UK Open in two thousand and seven. And I went on uh won two games and then lost in the in, in one of the games to to the world champion at the time, Yeller Classen. and I lost to him eight four or eight five and um, yeah when i came home all of a sudden there was there were some people going we'd like to we'd like to sponsor you and, and and put you on the bdo circuit and i resisted for a year i felt the kids were too young i resisted for about a year and then in 2008 i just you know they were still hounding me a little bit and i decided to, to sort of go on the circuit right at the end of 2008 um which gave me a full year to get to the 2010 uh bdo world championships and, and that's exactly what i did so um i was very fortunate to get those sponsors and and um Yeah, so it was. I I played my first World Championships in two thousand and ten.
0: For the passive darts watcher, um, like many people do, you know they enjoy the uh, the annual Ali Pally and and maybe the Premier League darts and and maybe the Lakeside one as well. Of course, the BDO that you, that you won, but there's much more to darts than that. It's a year round thing. There's tournaments constantly and, and tournaments happening uh, that are not screened on TV in in small venues, hotels like where you are that you're speaking to us right now. You're getting ready to take part in one of those events. Um, what is it like? And how demanding is it to to be a darts player?
1: Yeah, with the BDO, it was worse than that. We were we were travelling to, to to Spain, you know, Germany, Belgium, France, uh, Denmark, Holland, uh, Sweden. We were having to do a full circuit, which was which was quite expensive to do um, for for three tournaments a year that were on the TV, so so that we could sort of put ourselves out there and sell ourselves. So um, yeah, it was it was more difficult. Whereas the PDC is Uh, more based in the UK it's it's more sort of northern it's 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 Barnsley and Wigan most of the pro tours are played and uh we've played one at Milton Keynes and, and and obviously now we're here at Coventry so um yeah it's it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to do with with the BDO you just jump on it and you have a chance to qualify with the PDC you you have to get a tour card and be in the top one two eight before you can can sort of qualify for a lot of the TV tournaments so i had to go to this q school in january of this year um, and unfortunately i failed to get in the top 24 to obtain a a tour card so um, i've been on the lower tour this year which is called the challenge tour and the challenge tour sort of again is is based in england Um, and we've had 10 challenge tour events this year which i ended up finishing fifth i have about 700 but that still wasn't enough to get me a tour card the top two got a tour card so i've got to go back to q school next year but but the advantage of being in the Challenge Tour at number five, it means every time on the Pro Tour, which is the one above, um, people miss out. Like, I believe this weekend, uh, Michael Van Gogh is missing out with a back injury. So, mm-hmm. as soon as somebody from from the top one misses out, they go down to the number one at the Challenge Tour, and and promote them in to to, to get them into the system. And and I'm at number five this weekend, and, and uh, I've been promoted in, and I've been to all of them all year because I I was at number one most of the year. So, um, it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult at this level because the level in the PDC is, is higher, the standard is higher. There's a lot more players doing the averages, um, and of course I'm still working. Where a lot of the players, you know, the top 20 players are all professionals. So when you when you go against them, they've been practicing sort of four or five hours a day, and and I've, I've been lucky to get sort of three hours a week in with the farm hmm. so um you know and i've been moving a thousand little bales of hay on a certain day and the last thing you want to do is go and pick up a 25 gram dart and throw it aboard so um you know there's 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 reasons and ways but uh um it, it is what it is and and, and like i said i feel really fortunate that we've been able to play at all this year so um you know you, you just i'm trying to progress and trying to get that tour card so that i can try and get into the elitist part of, of the sport before i get too old
0: yeah, well, we'd love to see you out there when, and hopefully with fans back in, um, of course, next year as well is, is obviously the hope and um, fingers crossed that that can you know, get back to normal because that's, that's part of the thing with the, with the darts, isn't it? It's the atmosphere of, uh, oh, of, of the crowd uh, behind you. It's amazing. You, you take people to the darts
1: that have never been to darts, don't even like darts and they'll go to a darts evening. And learn it through the evening as it goes on, and they come home. And I've I've taken people uh, with me as guests, you know, sponsors that have sponsored me, and, and and haven't had a lot to do with darts. And they come out of Lakeside, or and they go, wow, I really want to do this again. The atmosphere is absolutely amazing, and it and it is it is as a fan. Even even the nights that I wasn't playing at Lakeside, I'd like to go and sit in the crowd and watch my mates play. It was just it's just a fantastic atmosphere, and and the fans make that, and then it's the same with Speedway. It's, the fans make it and, uh, and, and that you've got to have them in there and, and it's, it's hard to motivate yourself to, to play well when the fans aren't there.
0: In the previous episode that we did in Humans of Speedway, we spoke to Gary Havelock, who was the 1992 World Speedway Champion, as you will be well aware. Um, and, and in that, when he was talking about winning the World Championship, he, he sort of alluded to the fact that he kind of knew he had it won. You know, fairly early doors in, in that meeting. He knew that that was his night. And, and if he didn't do it that night, then who knows what would have happened another night. I mean, did you feel like that when, when you were taking part in that tournament? Obviously, it was over a number of days, but were you confident in yourself that you knew that you had it in the bag, or did the nerves get to you in a, in a different way? To, to, to be honest, I felt very confident. You, you've got to have a bit of confidence to go to play any sport. And, and I'd had the
1: most amazing 2014, I'd won six or seven tournaments. Um, I'd gone in at number, you know, I was either winning a tournament or going out early. So if I could get a couple of games under my belt, it, it was good. So I, I, remember putting the bag in the car when we left home the Friday night to, to travel up to, to Lakeside. And, uh, I said to my wife, Sharon, I put the case in the boot and I said, you know what, if I don't win this world championships this year, I'll never win it. And, uh, that was the confidence that I had going into it. And I was very relaxed. I was, I wasn't worried about any game um it was just everything was happening the way that i thought it would be and and i was going to sudden death deciders and (laughs) winning last legs and but i had the confidence to win them and you know and i'd had years probably i think six or seven times before i had been knocked out third round at first round three times my first three attempts and then the next two years i got knocked out second round so it wasn't like i had any form at lakeside i think I think people were backing me at 80 to 1, sort of like at the start of the week. And, and um, yeah, yeah, some people made some good money on me that week.
0: And you made some good money as well. I mean, what do you do with £100,000 worth of winnings other than buy a tractor?
1: Yeah, my dad had I, – I, I don't remember my dad ever having a new tractor, and, and I thought that the money would get me a new one, but I, I was that out of touch that, uh, no, it didn't. So I meant and <laughs> bought him a, a new second-hand one. Um very new nothing that we'd ever had before one that starts on the key you didn't have to tow it with another one or leave it on a hill to bump start it which was what we were touring round in our old wreckers, which are fun but um yeah they're not fun when you're in a hurry um so yeah i I bought my dad a tractor um which which uh then saw me on country file you know um uh, country uh uh helen skelton was was a reporter at lakeside and, and i said in the semi-final she said um So what happens if you if you get home with all this money i said i'll buy my dad a new tractor and that was the daftest thing i'd ever said and the only thing that my dad had ever remembered that i'd said funny enough because i i said lots of things to him in the past he'd forgotten them but he he remembered that i said i'd buy him a new tractor so um yeah we went when i won it you know all of a sudden i've got all the local tractor dealers on on the phone
0: (laughs) it was quite funny
1: (laughs) it was quite funny so i knew that they'd all been watching as well
0: yeah, uh, here's a man that's in the market for a new tractor, and he's got the Absolutely. cash. Absolutely.
1: So, so um, <laughs> Alice Skelton was on Countryfile at the time. She was a reporter, and she said, "If you get this tractor for your dad, I want it on Countryfile." I said, "And I want to come down to Dorset and, and be there when it comes." I said, "You're welcome to." So, so then we sourced the tractor, and and that kind of happened. So I'm on I'm on Countryfile on a Sunday night, being watched by 12 million people or 10 million people, I think it was that night. Yeah, yeah only four and a half million had watched me hit the winning double in a world championship. And I throw a set of keys at me dad uh, for a tractor, and ten million people are watching me on Country Countryfile on a Sunday evening. <laughs> so that was that was a bit of a head mess, you know. How does that work? So um,
0: but yeah, loved it, loved it. It was um, best thing. Helen Skelton um came and was on work experience at a radio station I used to work at when she was uh, you know just at university or whatever. And uh, so it's quite weird seeing. the She's crazy, now. mad, she's and right. lovely, isn't she?
1: She's just a lovely person.
0: Yeah. Oh, she was great. I remember we had like some kind of staff night out, and she was still like the work experience kid. And uh, yeah, she was, she was, she was all over us. It was, uh, it was, it was great. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. Her brother's are, 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 was a professional footballer as well. Oh right, her, okay. Her brother used to play in uh, in Scotland. Yeah, and I know she's, she's... with Richard. Usually rhinos now. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah Richard Mayle. Small world, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. Okay, on, on to Speedway then. And, and we, we sort of touched on how you got involved in Speedway. You're, you're a regular fan. I mean, how often do you, do you get down there sort of these days? I mean, 2020 accepted, but let's go back to last in, year. In, and, uh, every week, yeah. I don't miss.
1: Um, yeah, uh, it, was, it, was, it was lovely. You know, I've, I've become uh, friends with Matt Ford and, and um, Danny Ford. So uh, they're, they're obviously promoting the place and have done for the last few years. And, and it, that was going on before I was a world champion, if I'm totally honest. Um, after I'd been to, to a couple of lakesides and I walked in, and um, you know I've done a few things down there at Paul as well with Matt, and uh, um, it just you know it's my club. It's you know I've gone through the turnstiles at two weeks old. It's just kind of amazing. It's um, you know I remember not all the riders because you don't, but um, you know it's it's crazy. I, I, you know I go all gaga when I meet when I met Roscoe and people like that. You know how do you go gaga when you meet Alan Rossiter? But... <laughs> but they were my heroes they were my people that were you know belting around that track trying to win trophies for our club and um you know and I've, and I've got to meet a few of them now and, and obviously where I've got in the sport everybody knows that, that I've been a world champion and now you know I I stand in different places I get to stand by the pits and um Midlow was one of my heroes as a kid and now he's one of my mates I bought a mini digger off him about three years ago you know and it, it's just um it's yeah, I, I, I have to pinch myself to, to think that I'm lucky enough to get what I do. And, and last season I was I was actually doing some um, commentary for, for rerun. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, for, for Steve at rerun. So um, I was going out and interviewing the riders. And obviously it's a little bit easier for me because some of the riders know who I am. So they're always quite happy to stop and chat. And um, yeah, had some had some good fun with Nikolai Clint. We just didn't talk speedway hardly ever uh and I, and I managed to get on the rerun DVD so um you know with my bloopers the bloopers one at the end of the year for about five minutes with all the mistakes I was making because um, <laughs> it's just not it's not natural but I absolutely loved every minute of it so um yeah that was you know it was it was good fun you know 2019 was really good fun I really enjoyed that season although we didn't do as, as well as we would hope but as a team but um for me Um, You know, getting out onto that—the only time I'd ever been on the center green was um, probably in the 70s when there was a bomb scare, and I remember (laughs) Dad throwing me over the fence. And then, and then a couple of years ago, you know, Matt said, "Would you want to come out on the center green and watch a race?" I'm like, "Oh my God!" Um, And and I feel like that every time I walk, I get to go on the center green. It's, um, it is amazing. It's an amazing feeling, and and I am—I'm like a kid in a candy store when I when I I get to Paul. It, It excites me. The place, even driving by it in December. And there's nobody there um but yeah it's either in you or it isn't you know
0: you alluded to it just briefly and mentioned a couple of riders uh roscoe and and, and midlow but which riders were you huge fans of when you when you were growing up and in those formative years when you were getting into speedway as a youngster
1: yeah roscoe roscoe was sort of in the 80s obviously when we were down in second division he was captain marvel when they um yeah. yeah 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 he had plenty to say for himself if any of the fans didn't like it he, he'd give it back and i <laughs> kind of liked that and uh um yeah you know in the 70s it was um super Simo, and um but i was only very young then i was only eight or nine and, and so you you know we had all those little Britons, speedway toys then and mine would always have a number one on the back i'd paint on the back and it'd be Simo, and um just riders like him eric Broadbelt was was a bit of a crazy man we liked him um and, and it just it just kind of went on through and Boise was great and I've met Boise and like I say I get to know Roscoe now Roscoe keeps asking me for dartboards now because he's got a pub so um <laughs> yeah me and Roscoe get on with that and, and I go to Swindon as well um if I've, if I've got the time to be able to jump in the car after work and get up to Swindon i go to Swindon as well now um the last couple of years to, to to meetings when I can get there so um yeah it's been the last three or four years have been amazing I've, I've really loved it since being world champion it's just opened up a few things and um yeah so so those were the kind of kind of riders and then up to modern day sort of um chris and darcy and uh jack uh Bjornie Pedersen was another favorite of mine um mr loyal to paul he was amazing um yeah, yeah. so and, and, I, and i know them all and, you know it's uh it's um yeah it's, it's quite quite weird quite weird
0: yeah, I mean, a couple of the previous episodes actually that um, we've done, we've sort of had conversation about various riders that have been involved in pool. And if people haven't checked them out yet, definitely worth listening to the Roy Clark episode that we did, um, because Bjarne Pedersen used to live at his house. Yeah, and uh, there's, a few, <laughs> there's a few stories there about him and uh, fellow Danes, and also we had Gary Havelock on uh, the last one, and you know he was saying about what a well-run club pool is and and how. You know, ever since Matt Ford took over, you know, it's been the Matt Ford Midlow partnership and, and what a difference that's made since since they took over at the club. Massively,
1: massively. They are they are our Eric and Ernie or you know. Um they are really they're a double act, they're a double tip their team. You know, Midlow's been the winningest um manager in the in the recent times and, and obviously Matt's been the promoter that's brought the trophies and um I, I have a saying that in, in, in Matt we trust, you know, and, and he's brought in riders and thinking who the hell is this guy and then he just goes out there and rides this bike like he stole it and I don't know who's giving the tip off and but these guys have come you know like that's Lad Millick and and people going who the hell is this fella yeah oh my he's a nutter he's brilliant you know And, and 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 he kept pulling these ones out of the bag and kept pulling them out of the bag and um you know I think I think even in the last few years, I think when we when we signed Nikolai Clint, I think a few people sort of raised their eyebrows a bit. But I think Nikolai was great for us because he's a great team man, mm-hmm. um, and I think Paul were great for him um, in in helping him get get back on track to where he needed to be. He was um, he's another one of my friends. He's a good guy, and, and uh, yeah, we we have we've, we've had a good few years, and 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 you know, we just want to get back out on track and see if we can have another few.
0: And you wore the pool pirates emblem on your shirt, didn't you? When you well, well, do you he still yeah, do that I do, when, yeah. you, when you're
1: playing? He, I, yes, I still do. Yeah, yeah. I've always, um, yeah. you know, a lot of people have a, a sponsor on their left arm, and I don't. I have the I have the skull and crossbones. that's always with me, and um, my replica shirts get printed with them on. And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's um, but but that's how my friendship. I've, I've become very friendly. The club is a community club. Pool is a pool is a club that's that you know we've. In the last few years, they've been doing like um, five-a-side football tournaments on the Miss Centre Green before the game and before the matches yeah. and, and things like that. You know, the the, the club want the community involved and, and, and they try to promote it the best way they can. And Matt, Matt does a great job at that.
0: This is Humans of Speedway. Scott Mitchell, 2015 BDO World Darts Champion, is with us. He's a massive Pool Pirates fan, and he's going to be designing his dream Speedway meeting very soon in our Speedway Paradise section. Right now, some questions. I put a little thing on social media just before we recorded this, and um, a few questions for you. If you can uh, give us the answers, Scott. The first one comes from Michelle Tucker. (laughs) Put yourself... Do you know Michelle? Yes, I do know Michelle, yeah. Put yourself in this position. The Pirates need a 5 1 in Heat 15. Which pairing do you choose? Darcy Ward and Chris Holder or Lee Adams and Tony Rickardson?
1: Oh, Michelle. Really? <laughs> oh, um, uh, uh. I, I, oh, dear. I'd have to go Darcy and Chris. I'd have to Darcy go Darcy because yeah. it would be. We we need we would need Lee to trap it and Tony would do the rest. um But I think Chris and Darcy would probably let the other two go and then catch him for the entertainment value. I think. Okay, that's so probably based on what they I think on the entertainment <laughs> value, I think Darcy and Chris may have been slightly more entertainment, slightly only because Lee Adams would trap it and go. He was such a good gator, so. There would be no entertainment from Lee, just be gone. Um, and, and Tony would do the work to, to do I, I just, do you know what? I don't really know.
0: She's, she knows what she was doing there. Thanks she, for that, it, Michelle. I really appreciate that yeah she knew you were putting putting you in an impossible position but she just say see you in march absolutely <laughs> my love see you in march <laughs> and uh, who's this one Stuart in manchester um is it true david essex was your father christmas at school that
1: is um no it was at my sunday school we, sunday we had a sunday
0: school. school in our village yes
1: when i was a youngster and um yes yeah, so the, the lady that ran the sunday school was actually our our neighboring farmer margaret creighton and um so my mum, my mum would push me and my brother off to Sunday school on a Sunday morning. Margaret would come and pick us up, and and this Sunday school sort of Christmas party she had at her house, um, and it and it turned out that her her daughter had met David Essex in a pub somewhere, uh, local to us, and David Essex turned up and was yeah was was our Father Christmas handed out the Christmas presents at our Sunday school Christmas party. It was around <laughs> the time that he was in Silver Dream Racer in 19 what would that been? 1980 1981 maybe yeah
0: it was big around it was a then, massive it, film yeah. it was
1: massive in the day and um i think it was not long it was either just before or just after that because my dad was um on their farm helping him teaching him how to ride a motorbike for the silver dream mesa movie oh, they had a little wow. they had a little i don't know an old i don't know what it was a honda 185 or something field bike and they were just teaching him how to ride it um so yeah so that was opposite our house so yeah that's
0: i met him after that as well wow if only david essex had, had taken up speedway eh? we could be having a different conversation
1: i'm not so sure from the way when he was learning that he would have been able to do it to be honest no disrespect david if you're listening but um yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: If David Essex is listening to this, I'll be very impressed and shocked. You never know. You just never know with this worldwide Web business. Exactly. You you do never know. What would be uh, the best atmosphere that you've experienced at both a darts and a speedway event, and which would be the best one? So I guess you've been at Cardiff Um, and so on, have you? Yeah, yeah, I've been to
1: Cardiff. um, Unfortunately, (laughs) I've been to Cardiff nearly every year, and two of the years I missed, Chris Chris, uh, Holder won and uh, Chris Harris won that was the two (laughs) years I missed because I was playing darts unfortunately we had a tournament on that weekend and uh when you have sponsors uh helping you out to get where you go you've got to do the right thing so um yeah I went to the things I think I think Cardiff is the most amazing atmosphere but I've got to I've got to say in 2018 when Chris Harris passed Jason Doyle turn three uh, against Somerset Paul against Somerset I've I've never seen anything like it. The the crowd nowhere near the crowd that you see at a GP or whatever and, and and just the elation of we all we, we thought we were going to Golden Eats. We you know nobody'd ever done that. Even Kelvin was commentating, they thought they were going to Golden Eats and uh, where Bomber got that pass from I don't know. Um yeah. and I just remember being out I, I was I was actually stood by the pits that night and there's a there's a fence that goes along the pits that's about six or eight foot high and I managed to get on top of it. The adrenaline i jumped up and managed to get my leg over it and i'm sat on top of the fence i, I don't know you want to see me i'm a lump I, if you asked me to get over it for a tenner i wouldn't do it but somehow that night with the adrenaline and what was going on i managed to jump and sit on the top of it um just the most amazing scenes because that was that was you know what it was was like for the club and everything and and obviously for me it, it, was, it was winning the world championship and 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 hitting that winning double and and turning around and the crowd cheered so loudly that the breath in that their breath in lakeside hit me like somebody blowing a heater like a hairdryer in your face if you turn yeah. a hairdryer around and blow that on full hot in your face when I turned around and the crowd were cheering that was what came and hit me talk about covid I'm pleased it wasn't around then but um <laughs> you know it, it, it was the most I'll never forget that not the moment of just hitting it the moment of turning around and going oh my god I have won and that that breath that it was like a draft of wind hit me of hot air of of people cheering towards me and um those those are probably two moments that i'll 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 take to the grave of me for sure best best one with bomber is the fact that he was all taking all the plaudits and all the interviews in the thing and i was out the back loading his van up i was putting his bikes away yeah (laughs) because because his mechanic at the time matt reed was my mate is a friend of ours and um, a family friend, and uh, obviously he was a racer until his, his big accident when he was 24, a few years ago now, and yeah. spent a coma, spent himself in a coma for seven months, and um, Matt's a, dear, a, a a good friend, and um, Matt and Claire are friends of the family, so um, yeah, Matt was bannering for uh, Chris that night, and um, yeah, so while he was in there having all the interviews, and Sky were all over him, this, that, and the other, I was chucking all the tools in the van, and wheeling bikes back to his van, and having it load up, so when he could come out, he
0: could go home. Oh, there you go. I'm nice like that, see? I've I've touched
1: a speedway bike, I just can't get on one. I'm allowed to touch (laughs) them and push them,
0: I'm not (laughs) allowed to ride them. Oh, well, it's the safest way, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even safe for pushing them, really, but there we go. Let's move on to the um, Speedway Paradise section of our chat then because we do this with every guest that we've had on and it started off as a sort of a more brief chat at the end but it's sort of become a little bit more in-depth depending on on where we go because um, what we're going to ask you to do really is choose your your dream one to seven. um, The the track you would race on, the stadium you put that in, um, referee, you can change a rule, it's entirely up to you uh blank canvas but the idea is to sort of create your own virtual dream speedway meeting and i suspect pool will be a big influence in this but uh, let's, um, massively yeah <laughs> let's uh, let's start off then with uh, with the track that you would have this raced on i mean we're not talking about the uh you know surrounding facilities this is purely the the the, the shale uh, the race track and the shape i mean where would we have it
1: well i i do love the national speedway stadium track I think it produces great racing, but because we've already got that in the UK, because it's my fantasy, I want two tracks like that in the UK. So yeah. I, I would probably pick Torrin up and put it smack bang in middle, middle of Wimbledon Road. That's what I would do with with that. I would I would put the Torrin track in the in the middle of Wimbledon Road. I think I think we've all watched the GPs from there and seen how brilliant that track is. So so my fantasy would be to have the, that track
0: right right there in pool. Well, if if the if the greyhounds are moving out, I mean, you might have the space.
1: Well, that's another subject, isn't it? We we, <laughs> we, we could be here all night on on, on these things. Um, we we will we will wait and see. It was on there at one point uh, back a few years back, so you never know. It could be again.
0: And um, I mean, for me, I'm a, I, obviously I, I grew up as a, a Halifax and a, a Bradford fan, and, and and Torrens based on Bradford quite quite, quite uh, heavily because Per Johnson designed it, and. Um, yeah. Yeah, big big banked bends. That's what you need in speedway. There's not enough of them. No, I agree with that.
1: I agree with that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah. But, but at the moment, I'm feeling this is a daft thing because I just want speedway. I don't care what track it's on. I just want to see some <laughs> live stuff.
0: But yeah, just down the cycle speedway will be a start. Absolutely. Okay, uh, your dream one to seven then. Now this can be any rider from any era, alive or not, no points limits. It's entirely up to you. Seven of the best. This from you. is so hard
1: because okay. um there are there are there are probably friends that I'm leaving out that I would love to have in, but I've got, I've got a there are reasons for every single one and, and um my, my number one without doubt would be Super Simo. it'd be Malcolm Simmons. I just uh loved him as a as a kid. Um and he just just I just idolized him and I even had a spell where i was running around picking up the free golf stickers that they were handing out with the programs that people were dropping on the floor at Wimborne road and i stuck them <laughs> over my dad's car much to his disgust at the time um his, yeah his human his avenger was covered in golf stickers because of Simo. but um <laughs> yeah so so simmo simmo was my was my absolute hero um number two is another kind of hero, and, and I spoke about how we we done a few grass tracks and things back in the day, and um, this is where I first saw Simon Wig and he was he was just so cool. You, yes. you look at a picture of Simon Wig and his equipment now, it still looks modern, it still looks up to date, and I still feel that like the sponsorship side of things, he made a big turning point in the way that British riders looked at the racing and and how to bring in sponsors he 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 was he was just immaculate and um I, I never really met him as a person so i don't know what he was like as a person but as a rider and a racer i i really liked him you know the blonde locks coming out the back of the lid and everything he just yeah. had everything for me
0: yeah well he he again he, i mean he he rode at bradford um for a while so i mean and he was incredible it was like um, I think it was about 1990 or 1991. I think he was racing there, and as you say, just the branding—you know, his van looked immaculate, his bikes looked immaculate, everything was, you know, color coordinated. And and he was—I mean, I don't didn't know him or don't know him personally, uh, and obviously never will now. But um, you know, from from other people who have mentioned him in their teams, uh, have, have have all said, you know, what a what a great guy he was as well. Um, you know, off the track and a great guy to have in the team
1: yeah yeah so so for that reason alone and i still still look things up on on youtube and still watch some of his races and 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 picture archives and i just think he still looks so cool so yeah. he was the reason at number two number three I, I couldn't i couldn't not have bruce pennell in my team um as a kid i was i was just amazed by him and and there was a lot of hype around bruce wasn't there and yeah um uh it was so it was so good when he came to Wimborne road with cradley or whatever it was so exciting you that the place was packed it was he really did put bums on seats and i was probably 11 or 12 years old around the time that sort of like bruce was winning his world championships and stuff and you know the speedway was on tv a lot then a little bit like the darts you know it was it was on and and, and the link for the darts and the speedway for me was obviously dave lannan as well but yes. um that's another story but but bruce bruce was um you know again like wiggy immaculately turned immaculately turned out you know he was stars and trites, there was, there, was, there was just razzmatazz about Bruce and, and everything that he did. You know, you'd, you'd see him arriving in a helicopter on a meeting on the telly or whatever. And it was just, it was just, <laughs> it was superstar stuff, which we kind of never really seen the like of that before. I don't believe in such a big way with the media, no. we, we'd seen riders that are probably as good and as, 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 famous or whatever, but, but Bruce took it to another, another level. So I would always have Bruce in, in, in the team. Um, Number four, obviously, um, we we had a great time with, with Tony Ricardon at Paul, and um, you know he he Matt says he is a really important signing for him, you know for for, for turning the club around as well, and um, he was just amazing for us at Paul, and and uh, again you just couldn't wait to get through the turnstiles to see him every week, and uh, and I think most people felt the same, and I was at Cardiff the year that he he went round and seemed to ride halfway up the air fence sort of like yes. ice speedway style and go on and win the meet and i just go on and win the race and, and that was the final i just i just can't i still can't get over how he did that but but that's that's tony as a as a, as a motorbike person and um yeah he'd he'd always he's always be in my team so i've got him at number four um mm-hmm. and then at number five i've got jason crump we we had him as a a really raw young man when he came to pool And he, he sort of like followed the lines of the Australians of Boise and and people like that. So he came in and was, was absolute, just wanted to win. He's just a born winner. And Mm. he and he, and he wanted to win every race. It was, you know, he'd he'd come in a bit stroppy and if he hadn't won and, and if you want to epitomize what, what, what being a winner is about and, and, and how meticulous he was. And I think, um, Jason, Jason was just great. And I don't I think he was great for World Speedway. I don't think he was just great for for us at Paul for the time that he was there. He's great for World Speedway. And you look at the hype of him. You know, he would have been riding for Bellevue this year. How great would that have been? You know, what what a coup that would have been to, to have him in our league this year. But um, sadly, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. So so you get to number five, and then you got to go well. My my two reserves are probably Chris Older at number six and Darcy Ward at number seven. Mainly <laughs> mainly because they're the turbo twins and we absolutely love them. Um, I've been very fortunate enough to meet Chris and uh, on a few occasions I've actually been up to his house, um, done a bit of chain iron, a bit of grass cutting for him, bailed, bailed some hay and stuff at his place and took it home for. Life. So so Chris um, is is a friend and uh, he's quite a shy guy off the off the track off the off the sort of you know, we see we see him on camera being sort of like um, happy-go-lucky, but it, when he's off the track, he's sometimes a little bit shy, and um, which is which is quite sort of unbelievable to think, really. Or he, he was when he was around me. And of course, Darcy was probably probably pulled off some of the finest overtaking moves that I've ever seen in there. And they're they're only at number six and seven because they're the youngest mm-hmm. <laughs> of my bunch. I put them I put them in the reserve spot, so um, uh, I think I think they're. Just Darcy is such a loss, such a loss to the club. It, it was, it hurt Speedway. It, it hurt Speedway. It, it reminded us of what can happen. Yeah, um, Lee Richardson did as well. He was with the club as well. That was that was very sad, and um, and, and and what's happened to Darcy is, is sad as well. So, um, but they he 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 would always have to be in my team. And if I could have a mascot, I'd probably have Mark Moran as the club mascot just to go out there a few laps <laughs> at the start because obviously it's my fantasy world and i'm allowed to do what i want <laughs> yeah and, yeah um, and my my two managers i think i think that um that down and matt ford got it right this year my two i'd have two managers i've had midlow and i'd have heavy as managers so I, I was looking forward to that double act this year um which ah, obviously well. wasn't meant to be so i'd i'd have them as my my team managers
0: well, hopefully you'll be able to see them in action next year because um, I, I know from um, speaking to Javi a few weeks ago when we did the the, the chat with him. Then I think uh, that that is still the plan going forward for uh, for 2021. So fingers crossed, uh, you will get that dream at least. Absolutely, that's I'm looking forward to it, and I, I obviously want to try and do some away meetings so that
1: I can I can see Javi in action in the pits. I've only had uh, yeah, I, I, I did I did the Steve Steve uh, Brandon did the walk um for darcy um to raise money for him and i did the last i did the, um, uh, the second last 10 miles so i walked from chepstow to newport with him um that year and and i and, and when we got to the other end and we were we'd all stayed at a premier inn and i got to meet Javi and a few people we had something to to eat after the walk after i got rid of all the blisters on my feet and i staggered down the stairs i don't know why i said i'd do it but um i thought i could walk 10 miles but it was tough uh and and, and steve would walk from king's lynn all the way to cardiff you know day after day yeah. which was just amazing um awful darcy obviously and, uh, and i got to meet javi and we were i had a, a, a great conversation with javi about the proportion of people on the table that had ordered chunky chips and the ones one that had ordered skinny chips <laughs> and was it the chunky people that had ordered chunky chips, and was it the skinny people that had ordered skinny chips? And I think that kind of sums Harvey up for me. Um, he's interested question. in everything. <laughs> he takes interest yeah. in what's going on around him. He's into everything. And um, yeah, that was a great conversation. So I'd love to be in the pits when he's he's um, he's, he's chatting to his lads. So hopefully next season we can I can get to do that and go to an away one and and uh, have a listen in. That'd be lovely.
0: I think he's planning to, to to get to a few of the, the of the home meetings as well. He's um, he's definitely going to try and get there. He said that to me. Again, anyway, I feel so. sad that I've left him yeah. out of the
1: team, which is why I've sort of made well, he's it in the manager. There, yeah, well, he's in now. He's in. As a, as a, but
0: I mean, you know, I've left left people like Mark Perram
1: out, Hans Anderson, you oh,
0: know,
1: Brady. Jack, it's just, I just couldn't fit them all in. I just couldn't fit them all in.
0: Malcolm Simmons, Simon Wig, Bruce Pennell, Tony Rickardson, Jason Crump, Chris Holder, Darcy Ward, Mark Loram as the mascot, Midlow and Javi uh, team managers. So you've got, what, four world champions and probably... Uh, hang on, one, two, yeah, four world champions and probably Darcy Ward would have won it at least once or twice, if not yeah. probably many more. and I think, I think Wiggy was a long-track world champion. so He was a long-track, yeah, and Havi was world champion, of course. So. Yeah. And Mark Loram, so... Yeah. yeah, so
1: poor old Midlow. <laughs> <laughs> no you do, pressure. mate, I've been to golf with a couple of Travis Perkins. Days. Yeah, good. yeah. I can't do that to him, but he was
0: the best manager. Don't forget that. He's won loads of, loads of trophies as a manager, that's the thing. Exactly, yeah, absolutely. He's made up for it. Um, okay, so uh, if we're going to have a referee for this meeting, I don't know what your um, what your knowledge of referees is like, but who is, is yeah, would you choose? Yeah, I've got,
1: I've, with the age of, you know, we've got to have somebody that knows the modern day speedway, and knows a bit of the background of the old day speedway as well, because I think you know there would be a, a few a few altercations maybe, and and uh, I've I've gone for Tony Steele.
0: Yes, Tony safe Steele. Bare Steele he's,
1: he's still safe pair <laughs> of hands. He's, um, you know. Um, spade to spade with tony i <laughs> won't be budged oh, um i've got to know him um and he's taken me actually he, he took me in the ref box uh at the start of 2019 i said have you ever seen what a ref does i said no and, and he was he was training a ref and, he, and i went and sat in there and it was lovely because it was a freezing night and uh, it was lovely to be sat up there penned up four of us in the ref box it was lovely it was lovely and warm and um i did not realize the 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 of what a ref has to do i just thought he had to press the button to get the tapes up and i i it was just an absolute eye opener and i and i i wish every fan could go up there and see what a ref has to do um the implications of we all see it at paul uh, nigel out on the center green announcing the time and the riders and this that and the other but he can only do that once it's been confirmed from the referee so the referee then confirms yeah. that down with nigel um and then they're sort of like getting ready for the next race they're then timing from the end of that race to the next race so that they get the next lot of riders out and it's and when the two minutes comes on and um if there's been an incident on the on the on the track and uh, or, an, or you know a crash then they have to make sure that the track's safe again straight away and and sometimes they have to come out of the box and check the track themselves with their own eyes or they leave it to the clerk of the course who who says you know it was a minor incident nothing's been done banging you uh, air fencing and, and that's that. Um, and how much they have to do before the meeting as well to, to walk the track and, and and check its you know validity, I suppose, for the meeting. So um, a lot of responsibility falls down on the referees, and I don't think we, as fans, actually totally understand that. And um, But but Tony still would be the man for the job for me.
0: Yeah, and, and all that, and, and no replays uh, allowed either. So it's all based on what they've seen, what they've seen there and, and, and then. So
1: you've got to know what you're looking yeah. for. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know I was I was gonna go with Christina. I was gonna go with Christina. I could have gone with Christina, but I, I just clumped for Tony. I think I think his um, his hairstyle just took it for me. I think <laughs> Tony's Tony's uh, his his white afro that he's got going on. Yeah, he's he's just a great guy, Tony. and um, yeah, yeah, he, he deserve. Uh, I, I want him. I want him reffing my team.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of love for Tony Steele. I think probably I think probably the most requested referee I think in this in this feature um I would say uh, over the over the time so far. Um the one rule you would change if you were to be getting involved in the in the rule book and, and affecting Tony's day, I mean what, what would be the, the one rule one. you'd tweet? It's probably
1: the same one everybody else has probably said and it's um as a fan I'm frustrated about this this movement at the start rubbish. Yes. Um you know can we can we not just go back to if you touch the tapes you're out. If you want to move <laughs> you move. You know, let's make sure that they're up types to tapes. If there is a slight movement from there, if they haven't touched the tapes, just let it go. You know, that's, you know, that's a good start, isn't it?
0: The question has been mentioned a few times about why, why are we still using tapes in, in 2020? Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, is there a, a more sort of technical well, like a Like a, like a lights
1: out in, in uh, Formula One type thing.
0: Yeah, and transponders see who's moving, and you'll get a, an instant feedback of who moved. There's a certain um, element again, attached yeah. to that,
1: and and can you do that at grassroots level? Because whatever you do, they've got to be trained to do that from the time they get on a bike. So so that yeah, it's fair. Sure. So yeah, um, but that's the only rule. I I I want to find there's got to be an answer to this, to this. So many sort of you know, if if you move at the start, what, you you shouldn't be penalised for trying to not to try and jump the start as long as everybody's front wheel is in the right place yeah. and they've only got two inches or three inches to move, then then that's good. And, it, and if not, the riders, you know, we, we see so many refs pull the riders up then the riders roll back six inches. Well, that, that for me, you, you've got to be excluded for that. And if you start doing it and you get, keep catching it, then riders will stop doing it.
0: It's interesting, I would chat with Phil Morris and um, he's, he's big on this. He's done a lot of research into, yeah. Yeah, sure into, into starts. And he's found that the duration that riders are held for from the green light going on to the tapes going up over the last, I don't know how many years, three or four years, has got shorter and shorter and shorter. So that's why riders are now anticipating it because the referees are not holding them as long. And I think he's all for having a sort of a randomised thing on the button that the ref presses it and then there's like a delay that... That then before the tapes ra- go up. Oh, so I that... see.
1: With technology, you have a random, uh, a sort yeah. of like a randomizer with a delay. That's
0: a good idea, actually. Because you can have like between one and six seconds, or whatever it is, you can hold them it, for. It's
1: what we used to do with motocross starts. It used to be that way. The, the, mm. the, the you had the five-second ball goes round, and it can go down in one second, or it could go down in five. And yeah. You'd see a people anticipate it, and obviously with a motocross start, you go under the gate. So the minute that everybody else's will drop, and yours won't, because your front wheel will have it jammed. I don't yeah. ever see that ever working in speedway because you can't have bits of metal on the track. That's just not. On. <laughs> of course, Tony <laughs> Steel a lot of problem. So, saying, but that, but that's what happens in motocross. You penalise yourself, and yeah, there's exactly. no way of kind of doing that with a speedway start, unfortunately. Otherwise, yeah. I think it would be a lot easier to deal with.
0: Yeah, it needs a bit of work, but um, I think there's certainly something perhaps in that. But uh, I guess it will be a long road before that gets changed. <laughs> Absolutely. Just Absolutely. anybody, to, just 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 getting uh, you know uh, bikes on the track at the minute is is, is a bit of a feat. Um, so that's the rule you would change. And uh, well, the final question really is: a team from any time in history, from any league in the world, to be the opposition. Now, this is a complete team which has existed. So, yeah. who would be the opposition? Do you think?
1: Now, I'm probably thinking right out of the window here because people and, and I've I've kind of stated how I liked a bit of razzmatazz around the speedway. I would have picked. Um, a USA test side from like the early 80s. Mm. Unfortunately, I can't pick one because i put Bruce in my team. So yeah, I'm gonna ha- it's going to have to be just after 82 then, by the sounds of <laughs> it, when he, when he went off to chips. So, I yes. mean, I mean the likes, <laughs> you know, so, so the likes of, you know, you're talking Brobby Schwartz, Dennis Cigarlos, John Cook, uh, who else? Lance King, Scott Altry, Steve Gresham, uh, Rick Miller, who, who does Kelly Moran, Sean Moran, who doesn't want to see them? You know, yeah. and 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 so I would I would love to have. I remember I remember the Test sides coming to Paul, and um, uh, and, and there was just like I say, everybody wanted to go. You know, it was six, seven, eight deep. It was um, promoter's dream really, if you could if you managed to get one of the Test matches. So uh, that's what it felt like as a kid at the time, and um, so so any of those guys turning out and, and riding against Bruce, don't forget. So that would have been really exciting in my fantasy world. Um, yeah oh, oh sudden Sam as well Sam Emelenko would have been just about yeah, starting around Sam that Emelenko, time yeah. And so, well, so and, they just yeah. had a mass to, to to pick from and I think funny enough in the 90s then the Aussies kind of did the same didn't they it was the, it was the Aussie influx then come in you know your, your Boise's your John O's your Ryan Sullivan's your uh, Lee Adams and um, you know so I, I think but for me those American teams at the time were were amazing and uh, and and I think oh, that would you know that would be a meeting I would love to see with with that team that I've picked um, riding against um, you know what what would Darcy and Chris be like riding those guys from the 80s you know, from America? It's, um, what a meeting you'd have! You'd have entertainment and the interviews as well, I think.
0: Would <laughs> would they all be riding the? Uh, would the Americans be riding the bikes of their era, or would they be I think, on the I think they
1: would, and I think what we would do because. I think that um, the likes of Tony, Jason, Chris, and Darcy would ride anything. I think that they would, they would have to ride bikes of their era as well. But we, we mustn't forget in, in their era, I was actually watching a bit because of, because of knowing about the interview today. I was watching a bit on YouTube today. And uh, Simo had to pull out of one of the meetings because he blew his engine up. And he only had one bike.
0: Ah. So, so <laughs> back, in the, back
1: in those days, <laughs> you had one bike. So he couldn't take no further ma- part. So, so the reserve had to ride. So um, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so uh, and I think I think Jeremy Doncaster and one of the ones I was watching today um blew done something to his bike and wrapped it around a post or something and he was riding Wiggy's bike for the rest of the meeting and it's just you just don't see that that often these days, do you?
0: No, you don't. You don't. And you, you don't. What well, we don't really see too many uh, uh, uh you know, touring matches uh, anymore. No, either do we. No, that, that's uh,
1: another attraction I think for me. Um, yeah. I would I would pay damn good money to go and see see that lineup anywhere.
0: Scott, you've really run with the old fantasy speedway idea. You've actually uh, added another element to the to the list of questions, which I think is a very good point because your meeting is going to be televised. So you've actually picked your dream commentator, and if actually a commentating duo um, to, uh, to to commentate on this great speedway match and two great speedway commentating names. Well,
1: I, absolutely. I, I definitely have Dave Lannan as, as my commentator because he was the one that linked speedway and, and uh, darts for me at a young age. And uh, I'd, I'd met Dave on a few occasions. And actually, um, about three weeks before I won the World Championships, uh, he wrote in the local Echo that um, I hadn't uh, performed as I should and I should have been a world championship by that, champion by then. And I had three weeks where I was really horrible. I was thinking, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you. And at the end of the week, I won it. And uh, he was the first one to send the Echo Reporter interviewed me after the meeting, after the um, the final. And uh, he said, uh, Scotty, by the way, uh, Dave Lanning texted me and sent his regards and said, Well done, boy, you've finally done it. And oh. that's Dave Lanning all over for you. 15 minutes after I just won the World Championship, um, he sent a message through the Echo where he sort of berated me a bit and said, I haven't performed. So. He went from he went from uh, being my zero for a bit to my hero again. So um, I would definitely have Dave Lannan. I'd love love to have him looking at the the, the Americans, saying you know, um, some of his great stuff. This is, this is a team that you know is not frightened to get into the into a gallop or um, you know Bruce Bruce Pennell's riding out of his jocks. hap. we just need some of that back again. It's great stuff. And uh, yeah, he would definitely be. I'd definitely have Nigel as well. There's no two ways about that. But um, yeah, Dave Lannan and Nigel would do the meeting for me without without
0: doubt for commentary. Wow, oh, Dave Lanning and Nigel Pearson together. It's it's uh, yeah. And both of course darts and speedway link, so um you got it you got it it works for there. me definitely it works for me <laughs> well look thanks for um spending the time and, and joining us on on this episode um scott it's been lovely talking to you and um some great stories and um hopefully um you know it won't be too long before we're, uh, we we can all get back to a speedway track and, and get watching the sport that we all love
1: absolutely absolutely and that uh you know as fans we just got to hang in there guys if you're listening and uh hang in there it will come we will get it back and um then we've got to make sure that we we keep it going and and keep going every week and 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 making sure it happens
0: and good luck in the tournament
1: yeah thanks very much yeah no that's it's it's nice being the show pony having a chat with somebody i've got to actually go and do the business now so um yeah i've talked (laughs) the talk i've got to walk the walk now
0: (laughs) i'm sure you'll do it yeah thank you very much My thanks to Scott Mitchell for joining me on this episode of Humans of Speedway. And of course, to you too, for listening. Now, if you're a new listener, then do check out some of our previous episodes, including chats with another pool and Bradford legend, Gary Havelock. Another voice familiar to darts and Speedway fans alike, commentator and presenter Nigel Pearson, seven-time British champion Scott Nichols, and FIM Speedway GP race director Phil Morris among the previous guests, who also each choose their own dream teams and dream meetings too, so find out what their choices are on that. Of course, for the latest updates and preview clips, follow Humans of Speedway on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, and if you've enjoyed it and you've made it this far, then why not leave us a review? And give us a rating on your podcast app of choice too. In the meantime, stay safe and join us for the next episode soon. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.